Life Audio. Hey, I'm Rob Tigan. And I'm Joanna Tigan. Rob and I have been married over 30 years and share an addiction to coffee, bookstores, and Christmas music. We often debate how many dogs are enough and who should win the voice every season. We're a neat freak married to a not-so-neat freak, an explorer to a homebody, and an introvert to a people person. But we do agree that our vows are for always, children are a gift, and prayer is powerful. Our hope through this podcast is that we can walk with you in caring for the soul of your family. Thanks for being here. Thank you for joining us today on the Growing Home Together podcast. You know, out of all the couples we know who have either split up or who are seriously questioning their future together, it's pretty clear that the relationship did not break down overnight. And maybe you're looking at your own relationship and the hurts and the conflict that you're trying to cope with, and you're wondering where your marriage will stand at the end of 2023. You know that something has to change, but you don't know where to start. Yeah, and that is why we are so glad to welcome Mark and Jill Savage to the show today. They know the stress and pain of a broken marriage. They know the habits and assumption and choices that can pull us apart as a couple. And today they're going to help us to recognize the slow fades that will erode our marriage so we can move closer to our spouse again. If you're looking for a lifeline to rescue your marriage today and your relationship, you've come to the right place. Uh, Thank you so much, Mark and Jill, for joining us on the program today. Yeah, thank you for having us. We're excited. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, before we really jump in, um, could you just share a little with us about your ministry and some of the journey of your own marriage? Sure. Yeah. Jill and I have been married uh, 39 years, 29 happily. And uh, (laughs) not that they were 10 years in a row that were hard, but an occasional blip here and there. And we actually had one big blip that was quite devastating. Yeah. Yeah. And that happened 10 years ago. Um, Mark had been in full-time ministry as a pastor. Uh, He'd served on a large church staff for 10 years, and then we had church planted for 10 years. And um, he was pretty worn out from ministry. Yeah. And Um, made a decision in 2011 to resign and actually uh, return to doing some construction work. He owned, uh, he became a a handyman and started his own construction company. And um, we knew that he was worn out from ministry. We didn't realize how much ministry had been a part of his identity. Right. Mm. And I was just, uh, I was deeply confused by that. But as as I wrestled with my identity, my place, life wasn't rolling out the way I had uh, determined it would. And I just began to spiral to the point that I had a midlife crisis affair included. I left Jill and my kids pursuing another relationship, believing that that was going to be the answer to uh, all the problems. But the problem was when I pursued that affair and left Jill and the kids, I took somebody with me on that journey and that was me and me was a mess. Mm -hmm. I was just emotionally, mentally, my soul was just wrecked. 
Yeah. And I, as you can imagine, was absolutely devastated. Um, Never thought that this would be a part of our story. And yet I also had a really strong sense, even though he was communicating that I was the problem, that our marriage was the problem. I had a strong sense that this had a lot more to do with Mark being wrecked on the inside um, and what was going on on the inside of him than it was about our marriage. Not that there wasn't problems in our marriage. You know, I had to be willing to look at what I brought to our dysfunction. And so I actually began to do that uh, during the dark year. So from mid-2011 to mid-2012 is um, was the, the dark year. And it was during that time that I began to stand for our marriage. I did not believe that this was the end. I didn't, you know, I knew I had biblical grounds for divorce, but I did not feel that I was released. And so I just began to um, to pray intently. When I asked God what he wanted me to do, um, when I begged him to, to tell me what to do, especially right after I found out about the affair and made that discovery and Mark was unwilling to stop the affair at that point. And so I begged God to tell me what to do. And I heard only one thing. I heard, I want you to love him. And I was like, my initial thought to that, my initial response was, um, excuse me, Lord, because (laughs) I don't know if you've noticed, but he's not real lovable right now. (laughs) And I felt like the Lord whispered back to my heart, you know, Jill, sometimes you aren't either. And I thought, okay, Lord, you love me when I'm unlovable. I don't know how to do that. And that began a journey of me learning what I now call unhumanable love, which is when you learn to love in a way that it's only because of Christ, God's love flows in you so it can go through you. And so that was my marching orders and that I did, I didn't do it perfectly. There were some moments that my emotions got the better part of me. But in general, I became more characterized by love. Yeah. And I, I felt that and saw that, although <clears throat> I didn't believe it. Um, I felt like that Jill was manipulating and just trying to work me so I'd come home. <laughs> um, I, too, was really, uh, I was surprised at her commitment to keep loving me. In fact, we would meet on a consistent basis when we were separated. That was at his request only because we have five children and, you know, we've got to figure out how to wait, how to co-parent these kids after divorce. That right. Was his- I was, I was definitely headed towards divorce. Uh, in our state, you had to be separated for a certain period of, for six months. And so I left in February And my goal was that I was going to file the day that I could. But as Jill and I were meeting, I noticed a difference in her that I really hadn't seen before. Jill is is very strong, can be very black and white in her 
communication, very direct. And I am not that way. I, I took it personal. I felt like she was parenting me and that uh, she was managing me. I felt that way our whole marriage. But what I didn't realize is that I was misinterpreting our relationship and I was placing blame and labels upon our relationship that weren't from her. They were really from me. And it was, uh, so I left in February. It was Easter of 2012 that I had my own personal resurrection. I met with Jill that morning and told her I was going to file for divorce and that I had learned that I could file ahead of that six-month period. So I told her that I was going to file for divorce. I was just, I think she thought I was schizophrenic in that moment because at one moment uh, I told her I was going to file, that I didn't have any hope. I just didn't want to do what I needed to do. And in that moment, I didn't even know what to respond or what to say. And I was really, my words were very measured in this season of my life. Um, it was like, if God didn't give it to me, I didn't say it. Which was a surprise. <laughs> because that, that wasn't common. No. <laughs> no, it wasn't. No. I, I had definitely misused my words. And um in our 1.0 relationship, and that has changed in our 2.0 relationship. It sure has, yes. But the words that came to my mind when Mark said that, it it was Easter Sunday morning when we were having this conversation. And the words that came to my mind were, you know, Mark, Jesus didn't want to go to the cross either. But as he battled that inside of him, Lord, take this from me. His response was not my will, but yours be done. And that's all he said. That was just the words that came to my mind. And uh, did I say I was a mess? I was a mess. <laughs> I, I didn't even realize it was Easter. And all of a sudden I, I was, I responded to Jill, is today Easter? And you see, I'd been in that relationship long enough that we were starting to have the same issues as Jill and I, packaged differently, but there was this conflict that was just perpetual. And what uh, what I realized really, I was struggling on the inside that I didn't really want the divorce, but I felt like I'd made such a mess. I'd blown everything up. I might as well walk this out and just live in ruin. And so when Jill said that, I looked to her and asked her if it was Easter and she said, yes. And I said, oh my gosh, I'm going to pray that same prayer. And it was in that moment that I heard the Lord say to me, Mark, if you'll trust me, one thing I didn't say is that I had kept a list of things that were wrong with Jill, our, uh, no, our marriage. <laughs> <laughs> and it's embarrassing, but I literally had a list of things that uh, that we couldn't fix. And in that moment, I heard the Lord say, Mark, if you'll trust me for the list, I'll take care of the rest. And in my desperation, I really believe for the first time in my Christian walk, I totally surrendered to Jesus Christ. Hmm. I 
surrendered fully to him. And I was like, whatever you need to do, I cannot clean this mess up. I don't even know how it's going to roll out. But man, I just, I trust you with my life fully. And I looked to Jill and I, I prayed that prayer and not take this marriage from me, but father, not my will, but your will be done, whatever it takes. And then I looked to Jill and I hadn't been in church for quite a while. And I said to Jill, can I go to church with you? Yeah. And wow. I'm, it was pretty powerful. And that was the day that things turned around. Now, as you can imagine, it was a mess and we had a lot to clean up. There was a lot of hurt and broken trust. A lot of uh, money spent, a lot. It was just, it was a big mess. Yeah. But um, it took us, you know, between 12 and 18 months, weekly marriage counseling to clean up that mess. But we did. We turned it around and we created what we call today Mark and Jill 2.0. Yeah. And um, that has really become our heartbeat. And right. we never thought it would be the the core of the ministry that we do. We never thought God would take us back into ministry like he has, but in 2017, he really made it evident that it was, this is really our life's work right. at this point. And so we now help other couples find their 2.0 marriage experience. Yeah. Uh, what was so surprising was our the first time, so in our 1.0 relationship, we were doing all of the things that we knew to be right. We were in counseling, uh, I a majority of time. We knew each other's love languages. We uh, went on date nights. We went on trips away. But we didn't understand that we weren't really getting to the heart of our issue. We were really managing behaviors, and we weren't dealing with our heart. But we didn't know that. And I didn't really know that until I was totally broken and devastated by what I had done. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's powerful. I, um, you know, and I think as I hear your story, I, I think you were both walking a a road and and I think we all need to get to that point, I guess, to what you were saying, Jill, um, in order for us to get to the heart of the issue, but my new favorite word, unhumanable, um, (laughs) you know, uh, you know, you were, Mark, you were carrying that list around and, and God had to break through in an unhumanable way for you to be able to lay that down and and love Jill just openly and and Jill for you to be able to walk that road of of the untrust and and the 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 brokenness of the adultery and things like that i mean you you guys really both had to learn to love and i think every marriage at some point whether to that extent you know um mm-hmm. we have those times where we we God calls us or we need to love each other. Uh, I can't even, I can barely say it, but unhumanable. <laughs> it's, <laughs> right. it's, a, it's a fun word to say, even though I can't, I'm, I'm going to practice later. Um, but well, uh, yeah. When Jill first said it to me, uh, in fact, it was when we were meeting and I, I said to her, I just don't understand why you are treating me so nicely when I've treated you so poorly and she looked at me and she said, I don't know, Mark, it's unhumanable. And I kind of giggled and I'm like, I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but that was kind of cute. And 
where in the heck does that come from? And, I, and honestly, <laughs> it was just a word that like popped in my mind in that moment. Yeah. But it makes so much sense. Right. And, you know, I'll tell you, um, God had taken me months earlier to Romans 12, 9 through 21. And that had been my marching orders. Romans 12, 9 through 21. I would get up every morning and read it. I'd read it before I'd go to bed at night. And it was like, that's how to love someone who's hard to love. So I literally came home and in my Bible, I wrote the words unhumanable down the side of my Bible next to Romans 12, 9 through 21. It was, mm -hmm. that was really, I felt like it, it described it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the Bible has lots of different words for love and there's got to be a Greek translation somewhere that's, that is unhumanable. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But you know, we had we had the opportunity to um and joy. It was it's phenomenal to be um to go to your seminar last October, the No More Perfect Marriage <laughs> seminar. And I tell you, just even saying that I think sometimes brings a sense of ah, you know, no more perfect marriage, because that's kind of what we all think. Like you were saying, Mark, that outside of doing the right things, you know, we we know the love languages, we know these things, but we're trying to strive for perfection, and a lot of times we feel like we're just constantly falling short. But you know, there was so much helpful insight um, that Joanne and I pulled from that, and we're encouraged mm -hmm. and and uh, mm -hmm. read afterwards and as we took our notes and, and reviewed our notes. and um, But one of the things that really stood out to us um, that I felt like we can all um, identify with is um, those slow fades of our marriage. Yeah. Um, can you can you tell us what you mean by, by the slow fade? Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. So I'll tell you how the concept came about. So we were driving an hour to our marriage counseling um, this is about probably three months after Easter. We were driving back and forth. We would drive an hour to our marriage counseling, have an, an hour of counseling, and then drive an hour back home. And on one of those drives home, um, an old Casting Crown song came on. It's a slow fade. And some of the words that are in the lyrics are, no marriage crumbles in a day. It's a slow fade. And so we were like, huh. I mean, we knew that song, but we never heard it through the lens that we were in in that moment. Right. I remember looking over at Mark in the car and saying, so what were our slow fades? And he's like, well, what do you mean? And I said, well, you know, if there's a slow fade, no marriage crumbles in a day. It's a slow fade. Do you think we can name some of them? And um, I, I doubt that that's what Casting Crowns meant when they were talking about it, but we personalized it. And so we started, you know, talking about what were some of our slow fades. And, you know, we identified some, the slow fade of unrealistic expectations, the slow fade of avoiding emotion, the slow fade of child-centeredness. And what we began to, to identify are places where our marriage was eroding one little quarter inch at a time. And you don't feel it. Think of a beach or an ocean. You know, when the waves come in, they take out some pieces of sand every time. Well, each time that those waves come in and out, we don't see the sand necessarily going out. But if you look at that beach five years later, 
it's going to be changed by the erosion. Well, it's the same way that our marriages have elements in them that are eroding connection. And if we don't tend to those, if we're not aware of them, then what will happen is we will start to feel disconnected, but we won't understand why. And so we started identifying where are the places of erosion. And honestly, we thought we were doing it for ourselves. We Mm -hmm. just thought, you know, this was our conversation as we're trying to unravel this. But as we started to share it with like friends and family who were a part of our healing process, um, one of the things that, you know, they would often say is, gosh, I, I think that might be happening in my marriage or gosh, maybe we should talk about that. And we began to realize, okay, maybe this is bigger than us. Right. So eventually, when we started sharing our story with the world and eventually put it into um, the No More Perfect Marriages book, the slow fades became a part of that because we realized, oh, these apply to every marriage. And if we could help people to identify where erosion is happening, that they may not even are, they may not be aware of. Gosh, we could help them stop that erosion and then it would increase their connection. And so that's right. really why we teach about the slow fades in our No More Perfect Marriage seminars. And we also included them in our No More Perfect Marriages book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, your analogy of the waves kind of crashing up on the shore, I feel like for us over the past year, there's been a lot of those waves that have kind of set us up to be, have an easy slide into those slow fades ourselves. I mean, we've had a new job. We moved into a new house. We've had kids growing up, moving in, moving out. Um, We lost a loved one in our family. We've had new ministries. I went back to school. We've had health stuff. I mean, the list just, we could be here all day. (laughs) Right. Um, Yeah. And so when I look at my notes and I look at the teaching that you gave us about the slow fades of busyness and the lack of fun quality time, I mean, those right out of the gate got challenged real hard over this last year. Mm. So what would you say to a couple like us who's in this season of kind of overwhelm right now? I think what catches us by surprise is all of a sudden from the ways of life where our foundation is kind of washed out a little bit and we're not sure why we're feeling off-center or we're not sure why things feel unstable as and, they do. But it's been those slow fades. So if you're dealing with a slow fade of busyness like you guys are or have been, you know, first, I think we have to, we often tell ourselves, it'll get better. Things are just going to get better. And yes, certainly there are circumstantial seasons that are busy, you know, right. busier than others. But I think what happens in the slow fate of busyness is that even when we're busy, we have to figure out ways to intentionally connect. Mm -hmm. And the first thing that happens in the midst of busyness is that connection goes away because we're, we're too busy to think about it. Right. And so, you know, I heard an, an old, I wish I knew who first said this, but it's one that so resonates with us. In marriage, if you're not rowing, you're drifting. Mm-hmm. And so what happens in the in that slow fate of busyness is that we stop rowing. 
Um, and that's because we've hit the rat, we've hit, you know, rapids and we're getting just kind of carried away with all of it. And mm-hmm. it's like, we really have to be aware. And there are just some seasons of life that are super busy, right? Like there may be, a, you know, someone that's listening and they have small children, they have a house full of small children and it's just super busy. It isn't going to slow down for a long time. <laughs> right. <laughs> Right. Our oldest is 28. It has not slowed down, (laughs) y'all. I know. Yeah. It doesn't. And so what we have to do is recognize that if we're not intentional about putting connecting points in our relationship, then that slow fade of busyness is going to erode our connection. Yeah. Yeah. That's... um... That is very true. You know, one thing I noticed as I was looking through the different slow fades is that some of them seem external, you know, like the busyness that Joanna is talking about that we've experienced or some of the disagreements that we might have, that kind of thing. But many of the slow fades are also internal, kind of getting back to what you were saying of dealing with the heart of the issue, um, like our unrealistic expectations of each other, unforgiveness Mm -hmm. that we hold against each other. What do you think leads to a husband and wife becoming negative toward their spouse in their hearts or in their thoughts? Well, it's definitely what what happens in our mind, uh, what we think about uh, when it's negative. It it perpetually creates. It's almost like a magnet drawing more negativity around itself, and then ultimately, what we think impacts what we feel which impacts what we believe about our spouse, which actually impacts our behavior towards our spouse, so what we do, and then the result. And when we're perpetually negative uh, in Romans 8, 5, and 6, it talks about that if we decide to follow the flesh, we end up in death. Now, it's not always a physical death, but it's a... Death of connection. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Death of connection, death of relationship, death of conversation. Mm-hmm. And yet, if we will uh, decide and push our thinking towards the spirit, w- which is going to guide us in truth, that will change the way we think, the way we feel, the way we believe, the way we act. And then our ultimate result will be life and peace. And so for me, I fueled my thinking with my unrealistic expectations. I just never was satisfied or content. And what I didn't realize is how much of that was fueled from my family of origin. And it wasn't until I was just really broken and could really identify this that I began to realize how much I fueled my thinking with fantasy. My family was very chaotic and it was huge, created huge anxiety. And in that chaos, I dreamt of the day that I would leave that family and have a family of my own. And I dreamt of what my family would look like when I had a family. But the problem was I didn't even know how to create that family. And I didn't have the the tools to realize that I would could be the breaking point of that future family. So those unrealistic expectations, what happens is, you know, and that's one of our slow fades, is that unrealistic expectations breed discontentment. Mm -hmm. 
And then discontentment over time becomes disillusionment. Then it becomes disconnection. And so that is one that we you really have to grab hold of because over time, it is going to really fuel that negativity that you were just talking about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, you were teaching us about the slow fade of unforgiveness and you called it hoarding our hurts, which kind of is another way of just attaching ourselves to that negative thinking, right? Yeah. So right. Um, what does make forgiveness just so difficult? And what is a first step that a hurting spouse today who's just over it? I mean, uh, what step can they take to start moving toward forgiveness? Well, let me let me say first, let's clarify what forgiveness is and what it isn't. Because I think that's what often holds us back is because we misunderstand it. Forgiveness is what God gives us to keep our heart cleaned up and uncluttered, to keep our heart soft and pliable and available to God. That's what God gives us forgiveness for. It is a way that we are not snagged by other people's actions and hurts. Because when we get snagged by that, then, and and if we don't tend to it, then we grow bitter and our heart Mm -hmm. becomes hardened. And so forgiveness is really for us to work out between the Lord and us. And so we like to think of forgiveness is a vertical It's a vertical action between us and God. Amends is a horizontal action between us and someone else. We can't even begin to think about making amends or working things out horizontally if we don't deal with the vertical first. Mm -hmm. So we need to understand that's what forgiveness is for, is that we will keep our heart cleaned up and uncluttered and it is so underused. We need to for, we need to use forgiveness when our spouse says they'll take out the trash and they don't. Uh, we need to use forgiveness when our spouse says they'll stop at the store and pick something up that we need and they forget. We need to use forgiveness for lots of those little human things that happen in life. Because if not, they start to build up in our heart and then we hold them against each other. And we begin to hoard those little things that uh, built like a ball of yarn that's all knotted. We start to, that ball of yarn starts to grow and we hoard those hurts to the point that we we end up bitter and hugely disconnected. And it fuels that negativity you were yeah. talking about earlier. The other thing that people misunderstand about forgiveness is they think that that means that then they have to trust the other person, especially in big things. Okay. So let's move to like forgiveness for big things. And, you know, we'll use the infidelity as an example. When I forgave Mark for the infidelity, it did not rebuild trust. I forgave him and still did not trust him. And so rebuilding trust was a completely different process that we had to go through. And that took time because the only way you can rebuild trust is consistent change behavior over time. And so what forgiveness did is it opened the door for trust to be rebuilt, but it did not rebuild trust in and of itself. 
Mm-hmm. And I think that that gets misconstrued in marriages. A, you know, sometimes when something big happens and then, or forgiveness is given, and then the other person just is like, well, I just want to move on now. You forgave me. I want to move on. Well, it doesn't work that way. No. You know, you the forgiveness opened the door for you to move on together, but it's going to take some healing actions for that to happen. And so I think that that's really important for us to understand the distinction of what forgiveness is, but also what it isn't. Right. Yeah. And I was hoping you could speak into this because I know, uh, like you mentioned, you know, forgive for taking out the trash or whatever. I can think of a thousand times that Rob has had to do a one-time forgiveness of me. Like when I, (laughs) when I backed into the garage door with the car one time and, (laughs) you know, I forget to put that thing in the mail that one time that he'd really asked me to take care of. And I forgot, you know, so there's a lot of this, these daily acts of forgiveness, but I think it's really challenging when your spouse has a weak area and so the sin becomes perpetual. I mean, I know in our marriage, there were a lot of years where I did not express my anger appropriately. That was so tough on Rob. And it it was something that God was working out of me in my relationship with him. And he, he brought just incredible victory for me, but over time. But when yes. this was an issue that was really personal and really painful to Rob, where he had to forgive again and again and again, you know, what would you say to the couple where they're looking at the scripture that says you have to forgive 70 times seven times? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you know, what about that? Because that that can erode too, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, totally. Well, and just going back to forgiveness is what keeps our heart clean and purged of bitterness and un- and the unforgiveness really. So forgiveness is what keeps our heart clean. And then we we actually too, we talk about God tools and two of the God tools that I'm thinking of that really help with this. One is the God tool of forgiveness. The other is the God tool of grace that uh, to to live with grace, knowing that God is in control and God is working on our spouse and that I can manage my reactions appropriately because of grace. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that I would add to that is that when there is a consistency in sin, that is broken trust, right? So, Mm -hmm. So like using your anger as an example, Rob still needed to forgive to keep his heart pliable, to keep his heart available to God. But that didn't take away the fact that your consistent misuse of anger was breaking trust in your marriage. And so that's where you know, some clear communication often comes in um, where it's, you know, I, I forgive you for that, but I need you to know that this pattern is starting to break trust. And it is one that I need you to look at because mm-hmm. it's very painful for me. Maybe it's painful for the kids. And, it, you know, so we make a request of our spouse to look at that. But if we make that request without forgiving first, it's not going to come across very well. Yeah, that's good. And, you know, I think too, we have to look honestly at these different uh, slow fades. And because, you know, like 
Joanna used that example, but something that was working in my heart, and that's always hard in those situations, right? We have triggers and things that push our mm-hmm. buttons, and then right. then we we're reacting with our own slow fade. So for me, and I could identify with what you were saying, Mark, about kind of that fantasy of creating unrealistic expectations is is a big one for me because I'm you know a recovering. I've mentioned in the show before, kind of a recovering perfectionist, you know. And so it was hard for me in some of those seasons to see how far Joanna had come and what mm-hmm. she was dealing with and what, why she, you know, she reacted and triggered the way she did. And, and in the moment, because of my unrealistic expectations of thinking, you know, I don't have that problem. So why is this, you know, I, I handle, handle my anger in a different way. So why, why can't you get a grip on that? And, and so it, it, I couldn't see how much yes. God was doing and how he was working and how he was bringing about change because I had my own slow fates that were, and the things I right. was bringing in that, that clouded. And so I think what you, you were, you guys have been saying, like being able to kind of look at ourselves too and be honest. And I love what you said, Jill, because I think that's, it's hard in the moments like that when we're reacting to each other's different expectations and things to stop and say, give an honest request without bringing our own things into it and just creating a bigger struggle or maybe causing our spouse to um, struggle with, with their own in that process. So um, mm-hmm. I think I think you guys um, are, are helping a lot in that way. Mm. Yeah, I think um, oftentimes we try to handle, we try to have those conversations in the middle of the conflict and that is not the time. Right. It is, it is, the most ineffective time because emotions are raised and it's we're not in a place to hear. So oftentimes when we do need to have those hard conversations or make those requests, it needs to be in a time of non-conflict. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we've already used our God tools to uh, work through it in our heart so that we're not coming at it in a way that puts our spouse on the defense, right? Um, but instead invites them to yeah. change and asks them to consider. And, and really that we even communicate it in a way that believes the best in each other. Mm, right. I think oftentimes we don't do that when we're so super frustrated with each other. But if we can believe the best, you know, that they want to learn, they want, they do have Jesus in their heart, you know, we can believe the best in them. It changes the way we approach things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that's where the, the grace comes back in. I mean, I think, you know, in those, it's amazing how, you know, when we were first married, like you said, mentioned the anger, you know, and where we're at now, you know, and how, how you handle mm-hmm. things now. And I th- can look back and think there were opportunities there for me to, show grace and be part of that healing process, which I think God mm-hmm. gives us each other to do that. Um, and that that does create a lot of heart work and a lot of, of <laughs> you know, needing your book and your seminars and things like that to work through and, and get to the root and the heart of things. Um, yes. But, um, but yeah, to, to realize that we, God's giving us an opportunity to love each other unhumanably. You know, I was going to try to get that in one more time. Um, yeah, good job, man. Thanks, thanks. <laughs> um, you know, we can we can be part of that process for each other. And now I just I, I sit in amazement where we've come after thirty you know thirty years. But yeah, uh, still. yeah, 
Yeah. It's so true. And you know, Rob, what you're talking about there, we've kind of got a term for it. And that is we can become wounded healers in -hmm. our marriage. And so when our spouse acts out or doesn't handle something, we either become a part of the problem or we become a part of the solution. And so we, yes, you got hurt in that moment, but the way in which we can respond can make a big difference as to whether we bring healing to the circumstances or where, whether we bring additional hurt to it. Yeah. And um, well, on another track, um, when Rob and I were dating, we spent all kinds of time dreaming about the day that we'd have kids. And um, God did gift us with five children who are now mm-hmm. growing our family even bigger through marriage and the blessing of our grandchildren. And, you know, it's super easy for me as a mom to turn my focus to loving my kids instead of keeping our marriage as our top priority. And you know how it is though. Kids' needs seem so urgent, right? But, Mm -hmm. and it's easy. I mean, Rob's a very capable guy. He can handle things, right? (laughs) So um, how can a couple keep our kids from taking priority over everything else? Yeah, well, that's the slow fate of child-centeredness. Right, and that can easily transfer to grandchild-centeredness. Yeah. Oh, yeah. we're there. Yeah. We are there. <laughs> I know. I know. We are too. Yeah. 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 Uh, you know, we totally, you know, we were reminded of the craziness, you mm-hmm. know, as we had, right. had to help with that. Yeah. But um, I certainly made that mistake, Joanna. I made that mistake when my kids were young. And you're right. Especially when they're little, their needs, you know, are so uh, overwhelming. And you kind of look at your spouse and go, hey. He can dress himself. He can feed himself. (laughs) (laughs) Most days. Yeah. Yeah. Go go take care of yourself. That's right. So you're just (laughs) on your own, buddy. Yeah. um, That is is not a healthy mindset. Uh, Our kids, number one, our kids need us to see us make our marriage a priority. They, They need us to see that for their own marriage someday. Mm-hmm. We're their role models for their own marriage someday. Secondly, in their world, um, mommy and daddy are their world. Um, if mommy and daddy are okay, their world is okay. So we need to invest in our marriage to mm-hmm. keep the foundation of their world okay. It takes some real intentionality to not be child-centered. Right. It, it takes prioritizing marriage conversations. I mean, sometimes I can remember when our kids were little and Mark and I were having a a conversation about something and they were, you know, trying to crawl in our laps and be in the middle and interrupt and all of that. And, you know, and and so we had to um, really kind of instill some marital respect. Like, no, this is mommy and daddy time. I will be with you in just a moment, but daddy and mommy need to have this conversation. And we had to set aside time for date nights, Um, Mm -hmm. even something as simple as bedtime. You want to change child-centeredness, make sure your kids are in bed at a decent hour Mm -hmm. so that you have time after they're in bed to connect as a couple. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't mean that you just have to have a date night and go out all the time. I mean, it's, it's even just little habits that say, no, uh, we need this for our marriage. And quite frankly, our kids need the sleep. Right. And I, we have really noticed a trend, which has actually been ongoing for uh, our whole lifetime, but couples that allow their kids to sleep in their bed. That's, and it's a thing. It's a co-sleeping thing. You know, it's, there are yeah. many out there, but they end up in our living room, um, sitting across from us in the marriage coaching sessions going, well, what's, what's happening? And they have no time for just the two of them. Right. Because mm-hmm. their whole world is revolving around their kids. Right. And my most recent book is a book called Empty Nest Full Life. And what we find is when people get to the empty nest season of life, or at least their kids are starting to leave, that's often when marriage struggles become revealed or more revealed. And that's because the kids have kind of run a buffer. They run a buffer. And so what we want parents to do is not get to the empty nest season where they don't even have anything that connects them anymore because they've just been connected through their kids. And so if we stop the slow fate of child centeredness early enough, then we won't experience that when we hit the empty nest. Um, If we don't, that's okay. It's still not too late. If you get to the empty nest and realize, wow, the slow fate of child centeredness has done, it's it's done a number on us. Mm -hmm. You still can you can reignite that. It's just going to take some intentionality to find the things that you do have in common and ways to have fun together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I know Rob's sitting over there thinking, Joanna keeps letting the dog sleep with us. Does that count? <laughs> Please say it counts. Please, Please say it counts. <laughs> it is, yeah. <laughs> I think that there is definitely a slow fate of dog centeredness. There we go. I'll work on that oh, right now. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah. I love that. Can we add that to the list? Yeah. I didn't write that in my notes, but it should be there. Yeah. It's there now. <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> oh. You know, I you know, I think um, we joke, but I think even the strongest marriages at some point in life together find themselves feeling really alone, really frustrated, and really discouraged. And I'm sure there is a husband and wife listening who think they've moved too far from center, you know, to find their way back again. So, yeah. what would you tell that couple who's who's ready to give up today, or just just feels like you know they can't get to the root, to the heart? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I would say that we totally understand. Mm -hmm. I totally understand because that was me. You even said to me one time, I remember it was when we were separated. You said, I closed my heart off to you a long time ago. I don't Mm. think I could ever, ever open it up again. And I meant it. Right. I mean, you did mean that. But we're living proof. Yes. That it can be opened up again. Right. And we have really seen in our work that we have really helped couples who have been that far apart have the tools to reconnect and reignite a love that was lost. And one of the statements that Jill and I say is, we know you don't have hope, but let us lend you our hope for a while. Mm, And... It's it's really been powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, so it's worth it. 
It's worth it. But I would say, don't try to do it alone. Get help, especially when there is that much distance. You usually need some help to sort through it, to figure out what's caused the distance, to understand the dynamics that are going on in your own head and your heart that are keeping the distance. Get help. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, thanks uh, Thanks for that. Mm-hmm. You know, in all that you guys do through your podcasting and your speaking and your writing, you you explain how God was active in the rescuing um, you know, of your marriage. We've talked about it even in this podcast. Um, how can a couple's faith make a difference in their relationship? Oh, I think it's huge. Yeah. Um, for me, uh, I, I realized that I had made such a mess and I just did not know how to clean it up. So I was really, I was willing to abandon everything to follow my own ways. And it wasn't until by faith I reached out and grabbed hold of the hand of daddy God and said, dad, I'll follow you wherever you lead me. And, and so it was faith in God that led me out of the mess. It was my faith that deepened as I learned how to love Jill as Christ loves me because I didn't know how to love her. I was a selfish man. Everything I did was really ultimately to benefit me. And I had to learn how to love at a whole different level. And I didn't know how to do that. And so for me, Rob, the faith in God, I would even say our faith is deepened as we've dug in more deeply to the Lord, to his word and to his ways and followed him uh, that has led us out of ruin. Mm-hmm. And I I would say also when you are in a time where the waves of life are crashing around you, you desperately need an anchor. And, you know, when I was standing for my marriage, I mean, my world was completely turned upside down. My marriage changed. My living experience changed. I mean, everything in my world changed except my God. And having that faith and knowing that God was the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and that his word was my anchor. And that kept me steady. Mm. That kept me capable of unhumanable love. And it kept me from letting my emotions lead me. God's word was what was leading me. Not that my emotions weren't there. They were there. And they were probably, it was probably the most emotional season of my life. But emotions are important. They're like indicator lights on the dashboard of a car, but they make terrible GPSs. Mm -hmm. And so we don't want to be, we don't want our emotions to be leading and guiding us as to uh, what to do in a hard situation. Instead, God's word is the GPS. And so that's why faith is so very important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you know what I love about him is that he says, if you cry out to me, I will hear you. Like he is always, always there to listen and act for us. And so, so a couple today, they're like, yeah, we do need help, but we don't know where to get it. 
I mean, ask God. He can provide that for you. You know, I don't know yes. how to soften my heart. It's been locked up so tight. I don't know where the key is anymore. You know, ask God. He can begin that softening yes. work. So um, I just love that in every single moment when we just don't know what to do, he's right there ready to listen. And with that in mm-hmm. mind, we were hoping that you would be willing to pray for our friends today, that God will do a work of healing to restore those slow fades in their marriage and, and restore their love right now. Could you do that for us? Yes. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, let's pray. Father, I pray for each couple that uh, maybe uh, they're listening together and they're hurting, or maybe they're separated and they're hurting. Father, I pray that you would pour out hope, that you would pour out uh, a, conf- a confidence that begins to grow into a courage yes. that would lead them to act and to decide to think that you really could do a new thing in them mm-hmm. and that it, a new marriage, a 2.0 marriage is possible mm-hmm. that you can redeem the mess. Yes. Yes. And Lord, um, I pray where there is chaos, bring clarity. Yeah. I pray, Father God, where there is unforgiveness, bring forgiveness. Yeah. And Lord, where there is hopelessness, bring hope. Yeah. And Lord, may they move their eyes off the mountains and move it onto you, the mountain mover. Oh, yeah. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you so much, Mark and Jill. There's just been so uh, much to to think about and chew on that you've given us today. And I know those listening are going to want to connect with you and and maybe yeah. find a copy of you know No More Perfect <clears throat> Marriage or other resources that you guys offer. Um, where's the best place for them to connect with you online? And what are maybe some other things that you have to offer that that might be helpful? Well, um, the best place is uh, markandjill.org markandjill.org. And there you can learn about our speaking. Um, You can see our speaking schedule where we have upcoming No More Perfect Marriage seminars. Uh, You can also request us to speak at your church or to do a seminar at your church there. We have online courses and um, we have our No More Perfect Marriages seminar can be done as an on-demand course online. We also have a course called The Weight Is Not Wasted for those that are standing for their marriage and a course called Rebuilding Trust for couples who are trying to rebuild trust in their relationship. And then um, there's our coaching. And um, our coaching is, we do coaching through Zoom or in person for those that live in central Illinois where we live. Um, But what we love doing probably more than anything else are our marriage 2.0 intensives. Right. And that's where a couple comes to our home and we work with them over three days, just them. Most intensives out there are group intensives. Ours is not. It's an individual intensive. We work with them and then we also are still a part of their aftercare for about five months after their intensive. And uh, we love doing the intensives, really love having that front row seat at watching God work. Mm-hmm. But, you know, a, a low-hanging fruit, if you just want to start with something small and little, uh, we have a marriage challenge. Uh, it's a four-week email challenge, and that is available at marriagechallenge.jillsavage.org. And that will get you connected and started with some uh, great resources uh, mm-hmm. from us as well. That's great. great. Thanks for that. We'll make sure everybody that links to all of those resources are in the show notes. So be sure to check those out. And just 
Thank you so much, Mark and Jill, for all of the practical encouragement that you gave us today. Mm. Yeah, yep. thank you. Welcome. Thank it was you. so great to uh, have the conversation with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and thank you, friends, for joining us here on the podcast today. Uh, Rob and I would love to connect with you over on our website at growinghometogether.com. You're going to find a free devotional, prayer books, conversation starters, all kinds of resources to help your family connect with God and each other. Um, at Growing Home Together, we are caring for the soul of your family. And growing home together with you. Bye. Bye.